Folks, we are back. I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is our Radio vs. the Martians fun size episode. So, yeah, we're doing something a little bit different this month. We're not doing a full panel episode. There's some scheduling things. Yeah, we're sorry for that. Rest assured, you are going to get a full-sized panel episode of Radio vs. the Martians next month. But I think what this fun size episode does is give us an opportunity to dive into some stuff that we don't normally get to, stuff that isn't really enough material to fill a 90-minute full episode, but stuff that's kind of dangling around the periphery, stuff that we want to talk about, but we just haven't found the means to talk about it. And this actually leads into something that popped into my head after the two of us went and saw a movie a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we had a scheduling conflict, and so we weren't recording on that day, so Mike and I did something we never do together, which is went and saw a movie. So, of course, I picked the one that I haven't seen that hasn't been leaked onto the internet, which was John Wick, the new Keanu Reeves as a hitman movie, I suppose. Hitman yeah. action adventure snarky fun fest that is John Wick. And you basically knew nothing about it, right? I knew that it had Keanu Reeves in it. And this right. is a thing that I find really interesting. It really created a contrast that I didn't know existed until something broke from it. The way we look at movies and entertainment now is that starting a year, a year and a half ahead of its release, we start seeing teaser trailers. We start getting these little nuggets that are tossed out by the director and the actors on Twitter and social media. And we start analyzing it like it's the Zapruder tapes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, certainly the way they cut trailers, when they have a not teaser trailer, when they have the full trailer, almost everything is usually spoiled. I mean, they've cut it to the degree where you basically are understanding what the twist of it's going to be and basically can guess what the conclusion of the movie is going to be. And it makes sense because the new Star Wars movie trailer has just been released. Right. And already we're seeing people take it apart frame by frame trying to say, who is that stormtrooper guy? What is that right. little soccer ball robot? Right. <laughs> and trying to piece it together. And it's amazing the amount of detective work. And now that it's the internet, you don't only have your own guesses and the guesses of your friends the way it used to be, but now you have the guesses of literally millions of people who are able to notice these little Easter eggs that none of us would have pieced together ourselves. So it's almost impossible to get surprised by a movie. And that's what I really loved about the experience of seeing John Wick. It's impossible to come into it without already knowing that you're going to hate it or you're going to like it because of opinions by others that you've heard beforehand. Yeah, there was something really refreshing about going to a movie only knowing the star that I knew it was vaguely kind of an action movie. Mm -hmm. I think he had a gun in the poster for the movie. Right. But for the most part, I had no idea going in. So I go into a movie having no idea what the plot is, not knowing who the other actors in the movie are going to be aside from Keanu Reeves. And oh my God, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew the hook. I knew the elevator pitch was the badass hitman who's retired who gets back into the game because Russians come in and kill his dog. That's all I knew. That's good enough, right? I mean, that's good. That's. I love the idea of a revenge film that's built around somebody killing a guy's puppy. Right. <laughs> but I didn't know any of that. All I knew at the beginning is this is a guy who was kind of sad. His wife had just died. And I'm going through the process. He gets a dog. I have no idea what I'm in for. And there's moments while I'm watching it. Oh, is that? Oh, 
Oh, that's what this movie's about. <laughs> and I, I realized that I hadn't had that experience. Yeah, you don't even know he's a hitman, actually, until he just starts like dispatching people for his dog, right? Yeah, you realize, oh, that's who he is. Oh, that's yeah. why they reacted that way. Yeah. And it's really amazing to go into a movie and not have all of this stuff mapped out for you, at least in broad strokes that we're so used to nowadays, knowing, okay, that's the basic plot. It's been sort of leaked out. Some people are talking about it. We know who the, every actor in it, and there's a lot of great cameos that come out of nowhere. Yeah, it's cameo-packed, I would say. A lot of folks from The Wire, a lot of other television shows. Ian McShane shows up. That was what floored me. I think I had an audible gasp. I, I loved it, and <laughs> I haven't been surprised by a movie in a very long time. You know right. what it reminds me of is in the Alan Moore comic book series Watchmen, there's a character named Dr. Manhattan. His superpowers include the ability to basically experience all of time simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So he's simultaneously living his birth and death and all of the things in between. He's not surprised by anything because he already knows what's coming. <laughs> and there's this brief point in the plot where because of this element that's bombarding him, he has this brief window where he has no idea what's happening in that part of his life. Mm -hmm. That movie was that for me, <laughs> where Dr. Manhattan has this moment where he's thinking, I don't know what's going to happen next, and this is exhilarating. Right. I felt like that going in, where I liked going to a movie and having no idea what I was in for, and I think that we've lost a bit of that. Mm -hmm. In the current landscape of movies nowadays, where for both Marvel and DC, Warner Brothers and Marvel Studios, mm -hmm. we know what the next 10 years worth of movies are. I was gobsmacked when someone did like a visual breakdown of all of the for sure releases and the speculative releases for what's like seven years or something, right? And I was thinking, this is a map for internet fandom, and we're not going to be surprised by anything that happens. Maybe we'll be surprised when a director drops off or something gets delayed, but it feels like it's just mapping out all of our future, which kind of also takes the spontaneity out of it. Yeah, sometimes I like to be surprised that something's coming out. And if I know that, say, a Doctor Strange movie is coming out four years in advance, and then maybe six months go by and I already have a star attached to it, that stuff used to be completely private. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until you got that first teaser trailer or Entertainment Tonight would do an interview once it was announced. <laughs> uh, Entertainment Tonight. It was the YouTube for watching trailers before there was a YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it's essential. That's the thing that drives me crazy about this. Again, watching trailers. We are essentially paying and getting in lines to have people give us commercials now. Right. That's such a right. weird place to be because I remember seeing movies back in the day and I don't remember remembering trailers for certain movies unless there was a really memorable element to it. I mm -hmm. remember that they pretty much spoiled all the best parts of Home Alone <laughs> in the trailer. <laughs> and then that only happens during the last 20 minutes of the movie. And a lot of people were disappointed because of that. But that's not how this stuff has worked until really recently. We have a much more engaged audience for just about anything. And I know a lot of people are getting really excited about this stuff, and I'm really happy that superheroes, which is a genre that I love and mm -hmm. has been near and dear to my heart my entire life, but I'm just not as excited about film as it relates to going to the theater nowadays right. because it feels like all of the really good writing nowadays is either on television or in comics. That's the place where you can have the sort of weighty, character-driven, plot-driven, interesting, not written to a mass audience. Mm. We don't want to piss off Kim Jong-un. <laughs> right. So, 
Uh, well, I mean, you look at it and it comes from as if, and I'm quoting from our Blade Runner panel, Matt Goodman said, these things come from a place of fear. They come from a place of the people at the studios don't want to take the chance that someone will be a little bit confused by a trailer that doesn't give enough information and they just won't go see the movie. So they overcompensate. They give away too much. You know too much going in. And I think it follows that there's an inevitable disappointment with most of this because you've experienced the movie basically in three minutes or less. And for me, at least... For some movies that I know that are going to be what you'd expect, not worth the price of admission after that. I can imagine, I remember there's a trailer where the best or second best thing in the movie happens because they want to get butts in the seats. And Mm -hmm. it's a lot harder nowadays to get people to go to the movies. But at the same time, I get much more out of different mediums than film right nowadays. I know that I get more entertainment out of most television shows, whether it's Doctor Who or Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, or even rediscovering shows like, say, The Rockford Files Mm. that have been on DVD for years now. And the same thing with comics. Comics, for me, is a place where you can still write a character-driven, plot-driven, interesting story that doesn't feel scared into trying to be for everybody. Right. It's not afraid to be very specific to the audience that will find it. And it also has the unlimited special effects budget because it's all limited by what the person who's drawing it can put on a page. Rather than budgets, you're not arguing with the studios, you can have a very pure piece of art that's created by a minimum of people because when you get into film and even television you're dealing with a cast you're dealing with producers you're dealing with a budget you're dealing with advertisers what i love about comics is you can get all the good things that you get from the best television show plus the spectacle that you can get usually only in film Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it seems like nowadays movies are like the last place i go for a really good story for me it sounds like what this is all pointing to is it's a temporal concern in a movie, you have 90 minutes, 120 minutes or so to fill in the space to do that. Maybe that's why we think television shows and, and admittedly comics might be a better place. Temporarily, you have a lot bigger canvas. You have a lot longer timeline. You have a lot more to work with and you're not under the gun, right? If you can tell the story in 12 hours, you can do a lot more in 12 hours or 60 issues. Yeah. And I think that's the method nowadays. You go to something like, say, HBO or AMC or Image Comics. Again, putting out some of the best stuff out there, which is on par, if not superior, to a lot of the stuff on television nowadays. And also doesn't have to sort of take the risk because, again, comics are cheap and television is cheaper than film. And therefore, because there's less money on the table, there's less people that are basically sticking their fingers in the pie, you're going to get a purer product that isn't afraid to have a personality. And I think the thing we're talking about, too, is there's a lot more television channels Mm -hmm. than there were when I think we were in high school. The idea of seeing something on 30 channels still seems pretty amazing to me. But now that there's 50, shows are allowed and even encouraged to build their own sense of identity. And I think that with film, I think they're still competing with a small group of films that's out in the theater at the same time. Right. And there are only a limited number of screens in America, right? And they're probably not building too many more. Yeah. And that's just not true about comic book labels, and it's not not true about cable channels and internet channels. It's only growing, right? That tale's only growing. Absolutely. I think with comic books, too, that for a long time, if you wanted to get any kind of distribution, it would be Marvel and DC. But that monopoly has been broken. And companies like Image Comics and Oni, Boom Studios, there's a lot of places where you can create your own thing, not have people breathing down your neck the way film studios often do, trying to push marketability and this is not selling. And things are allowed to develop and build its audience because it's really about giving this person a canvas to create something. 
I think television is better at that than film is now. It's funny because television for the longest time was viewed as sort of the poor man's movie. Right. And a good actor did not want to get into a situation where, oh, I have to go back to television once having been a top bill in movies. And now it's the opposite. Now, very notable film actors now will return to do a television show because they're allowed to spread their wings. There's a prestige with television. People like Brian Cranston become a star on television and they want him to go into movies, but he's going to get meatier material to work with on television. Mm -hmm. With something like AMC or HBO, an HBO actor is very well thought of. And a lot of movie actors, you don't necessarily have to have the chops to do long-time drama. You just have to look good in spectacle. And it seems mm. like, I don't know, the bar is lowered a lot for movies. And uh, don't get me wrong, there's some good movies yeah, coming out there. In some sense, Mike, it might be an old man get-off-my-lawn perspective that we both have, right? I think a little because, bit. Because, to be honest, I was reading about them doing an Independence Day sequel, and I just thought, it's, it's goofy as fuck, right? Really, yeah. really goofy. But I was excited when I was, I don't know, when was that, 96, 95, 94, anywhere, teenager. I was excited. I was excited, and I thought it was going to be really cool. It had Data in it. He was in it as the crazy scientist. I knew it wasn't a good movie then, but it was made for me. And perhaps one of the things that we might be overlooking here is that maybe the target audience for movies, even though there are lots of grown man children who will enjoy something that is targeted for a 13-year-old, they are targeted for a 13-year-old's level of imagination and intelligence. Maybe yeah. that's there. I don't know. I do want to say, though, because I think we may be perceived as being harder on movies than I think both of us actually are. There's a lot of movies we both enjoy. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, I really think very fondly of Marvel Studios and the stuff they've put out. Their stuff goes on a scale from awesome to that was just okay. Mm -hmm. When that was just okay is the low bar. We're talking about, like, say, Iron Man 2 and The Incredible Hulk. Sure. That's a pretty good track record. Yeah, that's not bad. And they do much better with a big blockbuster movie in terms of writing and humor and character and story than just about anyone else out there. My only complaint with Marvel Studios is that, and while they objectively, they're doing very well with their business, and I think they're doing very well creatively, it came on the heels of other news that I probably cared more about than you did, which was because of the success of Guardians of the Galaxy, Bob Orsi, co-writer of the first two Star Trek movies, was going to direct the third movie. And essentially, he was either forced off or a you can't fire me, I quit from Paramount Studios because they didn't like the script. And their notes contained, among other things, as we're rumored to hear, that they wanted to make Star Trek more like Guardians of the Galaxy. So basically more like Star Wars again. <laughs> right, I don't really right. know what the difference is because it's not what Star Trek is. Either you give a movie franchise its own personality or you should just make a movie that's like Guardians of the Galaxy. There's no reason to put Kirk and Spock in a Guardians of the Galaxy movie because these are guys that are part of, as they say in the first movie, but never really fully demonstrate, a humanitarian armada and peacekeeping force. <laughs> An exploration group. I mean, right. that's the thing is that deep down, the Star Trek crew are explorers and diplomats. Mm -hmm. It's like we've gotten to the point where being an explorer is not exciting enough for us. We have to be like a warrior and getting involved in revenge plots and running down hallways yelling, which is about half of the new Star Trek movies. <laughs> and there's bits of it that I do like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like Star Trek Into Darkness, and I think we both had the same experience where yeah. going into it, we both came out with that vaguely positive but not heralding well for the future feeling of, right. eh, that was pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I liked it. But I feel a lot of ways when I come out of a movie and feel that, that it just means I haven't had a chance to digest it yet. Mm -hmm. And when I finally do digest it, I'm like, oh, that was a problem, and that was a problem. Mm -hmm. And what it really came down to on looking at the movie again is, 
I really like the first five minutes of Star Trek Into Darkness because that's the part where they're Star Trekking, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where they're doing exploration stuff. And you can mix the fun action and the characters bantering with each other in the context of them exploring and getting involved in a mission. And that's the stuff like where they're saving that civilization who's going to be destroyed by a volcano and trying to not violate the Prime Directive, but ultimately violating the Prime Directive. That's the best stuff in that yeah, movie. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. And I'd say that the biggest missed opportunity, at least for me, is in the wake of the internet learning that Bob Orsi was going to be kicked off, which he had earned the ire of some fans from going on to certain high-profile message boards and telling people to fuck off. I think there was a collective sigh of relief breathed on message boards, Reddit comments, and the basements of their parents' house everywhere (laughs) because of the news. (laughs) Although the first reaction was Edgar Wright got bumped off of Ant-Man, and so people were crossing their fingers. Ooh, that would be a great movie if Edgar Wright would direct Star Trek (sighs) 3. That's going to be good. That would be great. The second one, though, Mike, I got to say, the second one, though, is a groundswell grassroots Twitter campaign hashtag bring back Riker to get Jonathan Frakes to come in and direct Star Trek 3. He was the guy who directed the Star Trek movie that had the highest box office return, which was First Contact, and also an accomplished film and movie director in his own right. Although I think they've batted that down. I don't think Paramount wants that. I think a lot of it is they want to break their ties with the original iteration of Star Trek, which is a really a bad thing because there's no reason you can't integrate new and old into something completely new. Right. There's no reason that you can't make everyone happy. And this is, again, the question of the Avengers. The Avengers movie, by all rights, should have been a disaster. It should Mm -hmm. have been a giant clusterfuck because you built all these people as individual stars of their own movies. Mm -hmm. They became successful. And then you put them all in one movie where they have to share screen time with these other people. You think egos would be a thing. You think that trying to get all these people in one movie fighting over who gets to do the big moments would be a big thing. You think this is just going to be a big disaster. I went into the Avengers thinking this is going to be a really fun mess. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly streamlined. The characters all shine. They're all given a moment where their character is important to the plot, where their personality meshes in with the group. They've really thought out well, and this is a lot of Joss Whedon being a good writer. Right. They've actually thought out what it is that these characters would do if they actually met and how they would change the plot, how they would interact. And that made the movie better. Right. And I think what Avengers did even better than that was we all knew because of the wild fandom around it that they were sort of propping up all of these individual movies with the heroes to lead up to the Avengers. Right. We knew that these were all just little mini prequels to it. Going into it, I actually wanted to take the perspective of someone who hadn't seen any of the other individual characters' movies, even though I'd seen most of them. And they did a really good job of not making it what you have criticized before about the DC and Marvel comic books, where making an overburdensome requirement for entering the narrative, having to know too much about what came before. Avengers, that was not even a problem. You didn't have any problem at all understanding who the characters were, why they're important, where they came from, and why it was important where they ended up together where they did. No issues with that at all. I mean, it was objectively a great movie, and of course it made a lot of money, and Marvel should get the credit for not spoiling the milk. This is the thing that I really think Avengers did well and why I think it's a high watermark of this kind of everybody come together and make a big blockbuster movie is that it made every possible audience happy. It made the diehard comic book fans happy that they saw these characters adapted to the big screen. And they were like, this is great. I've been waiting for this forever. It made casual fans happy. It made kids happy. Mm -hmm. It made every possible 
person who could come into this thing, enjoy these characters and the world that they live in thing. And we've said this about the Star Wars prequels. Those movies make nobody happy. Right, right. That on one hand, if you are a familiar Star Wars fan, you're like, okay, I get it. He's Darth Vader. That's the Emperor. Move on, move on. But if you're not, you're like, who the hell are these people? Right. So nobody comes away happy. But Marvel has done this really beautiful balancing act. I know it can't last forever. I love the fact that they're branching out into characters like Guardians of the Galaxy that even most comic book fans are not really that familiar sure, with. Sure, sure. And I love that they're branching out past pure superheroics and finding characters that are like space opera. And I was actually pretty sad when Edgar Wright got off of Ant-Man mm. because that mm. was the movie I was looking most forward to. Of course. I love Edgar Wright. And we're going to have to do an episode about Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost. That trifecta of awesome. Yeah, you yeah. get all three of them into one movie and it's amazing. I agree. I agree. They somehow exceed expectations with each succeeding movie and I do not know how they do it. Brilliant writing, beautifully shot action. It has great character work. It can do a parody of something without just doing stupid, over-the-top, epic movie, disaster movie, right, scary right. movie type shit. Right. And it's genuinely good. And it's this exact sort of thing. Like, Hot Fuzz, I honestly think, is one of the top ten movies I've ever seen. Hmm. It is a brilliant, odd mashup of apparently... Agatha Christie and Michael Bay. <laughs> and that's what I really love about it. It's two things that shouldn't work together, but are just beautiful mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. have, you know, Timothy Dalton is one of my favorite movie <laughs> villains ever. And the idea that these guys, and I say these guys in a very hopeful way because right. I wanted not only Edgar Wright to write direct, but I was really hoping that Simon Pegg would come on to play Ant-Man. And he could do it. He, he could, could do it. And yeah. he would fit in really well as part of an ensemble cast of the other Avengers. And I would love to see that. But the idea of him doing an interesting, quirky superhero where I know somebody like Edgar Wright could find some really cool, interesting things. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of a shame that it didn't shape out. Yeah. But, you know, what can you do? Well, you know, Peter Jackson was in on The Hobbit and then he was out and then he was back in again. So it's, it's possible. Although, I don't know, maybe the turnaround time on Marvel movies now has to be accelerated. So they're probably not going to allow it to go into development hell for 10 years. No, I think they're already shooting it, if I remember mm. correctly. So, well, well, I mean, I like the people that they have involved in it. And who knows, it may be great, but I kind of lost about 90% of the excitement that I had for it. Well, let's circle it back to the beginning then. Maybe the Ant-Man movie that you didn't expect will be the best possible Ant-Man movie. Not the Ant-Man movie I wanted, but the Ant-Man movie I deserve. <laughs> yeah, yes. I hope so. I really do. And you know what? Maybe taking those expectations off of it is exactly what I needed. Right. Because the beautiful thing about John Wick was that I could go in fresh. Maybe I mm -hmm. can just allow myself to go in fresh. And I think the way I'm looking at movies nowadays, I think I'm becoming a very different kind of movie nerd, very kind of comic nerd, where I don't really want to treat everything like it's an autopsy before the murders even happen. <laughs> right. And I think that so often now we sort of pick everything apart and want to understand everything about the movie to the point that we're not actually surprised by it. Rather, we judge it by the execution of the ideas and plot points that we already know. I want to be surprised again. And I think one of the things I really love in comics is sometimes with certain comic book creators like Brian K. Vaughn mm. or Ed Brubaker, mm. like Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, the guys who did both Criminal and Fatale, which is a brilliant amazing, comic book series. Amazing. That would be my recommendation of the year, actually, for anyone who doesn't read comic books all that much to go pick up the trade of Fatale. It's incredible. 
If you had to sum up Fatal, how would you put it to somebody who's oh, not normally a comic book fan? A Dashiell Hammett-style mystery that also smashes straight into Lovecraftian horror. I mean, I think that's exactly what they were going for, and that's exactly what it feels like. It's really amazing stuff. Those two guys have this exclusive multi-year deal with Image Comics now where whatever they create... Image will publish. Hmm. And they're doing some really interesting things. I know that they're doing a golden age of Hollywood murder mystery sort of story involving right. screenwriters. That sounds really interesting called The Fade Out. Hmm. So they're cool. going to be so cool. republishing their crime noir series Criminal under the Image Comics banner. And I love the stuff they do. Yeah, I see the names Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips. I can just go, I want to see that comic. I want to read that the same way I'm like, oh, Quentin Tarantino's doing a Western. You don't have to sell me anymore. <laughs> I'm on board to see The Hateful Eight when he puts it right, out. Right. I mean, immediately after I read the first trade of Criminal, I think the first thing that I said to you was, they need to give this guy an HBO series. Because it could be a comeback for private eye noir detective fiction on television. Because I have not seen that in a very long time. Yeah, and that's, I think, what we all want. We all want to see something new. And I think that's a good place for us to stop. So, folks, if you like what we're doing with these fun-sized episodes, please let us know. Leave a comment on the comment thread or email us at info at com. And we're sorry about not having a panel discussion here, but the next one I'm very excited about. We've already teased it, but you'll know in the year 2015, in the month of January, we're going to come out fighting. I think. Absolutely. There's going to be some punching. (laughs) There's going to be some long lead pipes. (laughs) And people are going to be punched through crates. People are going to focus their Chinese energy through their palms and project it through the air. I'm saying too much already. (laughs) (laughs) Down diagonal forward. Punch. So before we get going... We also want to throw a quick shout out to the feature that we have on our website, Radio versus the Mailbag. Of course. And this month's question kind of comes from this idea of there's this moment where something you're watching, something you're reading, something you are consuming as media just goes too far. And you're just like, you know what? Fuck this noise. (laughs) And you toss it. In the words of UFC and WWE, you tap out. You go, no more. (laughs) And we asked you folks this question. Has a movie, book, television show or piece of media ever made you tap out yeah we want to know when have you said no more i can take <laughs> no more so please go to radio versus let us know what you think there's a lot of cool conversation on this already casey and i had our say yep. we want to hear yours absolutely and with that said we will see you guys next month Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. matter it's not what you did son it's who you did it to nobody but nobody is john wick